Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I have prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be a seed planted that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now let's get started. In this episode, we want to reflect on the empty tomb of Jesus. In particular, I want to discuss the practice that the Apostle Paul passed on to the church in ancient Corinth that was a memorial to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This memorial was not a statue or a monument. It wasn't a music program or a play. It was a meal that was instituted by Jesus himself. Given the fact that so many of us are under some sort of stay-at-home order at the time this episode's being released, we may do well to hear from Paul the significance of this meal and then make it a part of our family worship on Sunday. If you have a Bible handy, follow along as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there is division among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give you direction when I come. As we look at this passage, we can see that Paul is having to correct some things that are being done wrong uh, by this church, and his uh, overarching purpose for writing this whole letter is to address division that was going on uh, in the church at Corinth. And one of the ways that this was most pronounced was in their sharing of what we call the Lord's Supper. 
or communion, or in some traditions, the Eucharist. And that's just a fancy word that means Thanksgiving. Uh, it is a time that uh, people came together to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus uh, as he himself had instructed on the night of his betrayal. As we hear what Paul has to say to this church that was getting it wrong, I think we can be instructed in how to get it right. And there are many opportunities that, that we have to learn from the mistakes of others. And I think we do well uh, to look at these sometimes and, and take corrective measures in our own lives and our own understanding and our own attitudes so that we do things in a better way. Paul said he couldn't commend these folks at all, that they made such a mess and such a mockery of this memorial. So let's learn from their mistakes and be better prepared the next time we share this meal to uh, uh, do it in a way that pleases God. There, I see in here um, a description of this time around the table, right? A description of what it means to share the Lord's Supper. And I think it starts off in verse 17, uh, those first two verses that I read. He says, in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Right? It, Paul says the time around the table, the time of the Lord's Supper should be a time for unity, not, not a time for division. He said there's some things they could learn from those divisions. He said he wasn't surprised to hear about the divisions. He says, as a matter of fact, when you come to church, it's worse than if you hadn't come at all. That's very condemning, but we can learn from what they got wrong. They were a divided group of people. The time at the table is a time for unity. Uh, Jesus prayed as much on the night he was betrayed in Gethsemane. According to John chapter 17, starting in verse 20, Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If you're not familiar with the context of that, Jesus has been praying to God, and he prayed specifically about his 12 apostles. But then he goes on to say, I'm not praying only for them, but those who will believe in me because of them. That's us, right? Jesus, on the night that he is about to be handed over to the authorities and will soon be executed, is thinking about us. And he says what he wants for us. His dying wish is that we all be united in the Father and in the Son. Paul will go on in the same letter of 1 Corinthians in the, in the very next chapter to talk about how the body of Christ or those assemblies of, of Christ, those Christians that get together should function as one body, each uh, member having a specific part or role to play in the function of that body. There's a strong sense of unity that, that should come to mind and come to light and be experienced in our time 
at the table when we share the Lord's Supper. Paul goes on from there to describe a time of focus, right? And, and, and what is it that we should be focused on? It's a time that we're stepping away from the cares of the world. It's a time that we're putting out other things to remember something specific. And this time of focus, I think, is important to, to realize that this comes from the Lord himself. Remember in verse 23, Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Right. As I shared with you how to to participate in this meal, I got it from Jesus himself. This is an important thing. This is something where we come to gather to focus on the Lord. Because it's from him, it's an instruction, a commandment even from him. And as he says in verse 20, it's for the Lord. It's not even for us. It's something that we do in his honor, in his memory, right? In verse 20, he says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. They were eating. They were having supper, but it was their supper. What Paul is wanting Christians to do when they come together is share the Lord's supper. And so it's a time to focus on him. And during this time of focus, he encourages the people in Corinth, the Christians there, to reflect. It's also a time of reflection. Verses 24 and 25 say, And when he had given thanks, he broke it, talking about the bread. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Right? There's a discernment, a reflection that goes on. Uh, uh, Paul tells us in here that we have to discern the body and the blood to, to participate in this meal effectively. So let's look at each of those and maybe get a little more insight into what he means to discern the body and the blood. If you remember, Jesus instituted this Last Supper as, as a, a Passover Seder, a Passover meal uh, prior to his execution. And so he would have had his disciples around, possibly their families and, and other disciples with them, and they would have recounted the story of Israel being freed from slavery in Egypt. And as they did that, they would have shared pieces of unleavened bread. God had instructed the Israelites to do that back uh, in the book of Exodus. And uh, as the Passover uh, became uh, popularized, and by the time of Jesus, this uh, poor bread of uh, of affliction, as they called it, was shared uh, by Jews, and they remembered the affliction of their fathers and not only realized that it was their affliction, but it was actually the affliction of themselves, right? And eating this bread that they didn't have time to let rise because they were about to escape Egypt, it was for poor people, for the slaves, and, and it symbolized the affliction that they experienced in Egypt. That's significant because Jesus takes this poor bread of affliction, this thing that had afflicted Israel, and says, hey guys, from now on, when you eat this bread, remember me. 
And Paul will say in another letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that for our sake, he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's Jesus, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who had no sin, became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus became the thing that afflicted us. and wanted. So this body of Christ is remembered in this poor bread of affliction. We remember the sin that separated us from God and that Jesus became that sin and nailed it to the cross. That's part of what it means to properly discern the body. And then we get to discerning the blood. In the Jewish Passover, uh, there are four glasses of wine that uh, the participants drink during the course of the evening. And there's one at the beginning uh, of the ceremony as uh, prayers are said and people are beginning to talk and the, the, the uh, telling of the story begins. And then there's another that's poured uh, just prior to the meal beginning. And, and you use that th- uh, to drink with your meal. Then after the meal, there is a third cup that is poured. Then before you leave, there's a fourth cup cup that drank. And and the four cups correspond to four promises that God made to Israel in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, God says to Moses, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring them out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from the slavery from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians right there are four promises in there corresponding each promise corresponds to one of the cups of wine that would have been uh, used at the Passover Seder. When Jesus gets to the cup after dinner, he raises it and says, from now on, when you drink this cup, remember me. Well, I go back into Exodus and I find the third uh, promise and it's the promise is, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Jesus says God promised to redeem his people, and that is being fulfilled in the shedding of my blood. So from now on, when you drink this cup, remember that God is faithful to keep his promises. He did it with the shedding of my blood. So, again, that's part of what it means to properly discern the meaning of the blood of Christ. Right. Uh, Paul says to Titus, a a young preacher in Titus chapter two, starting in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Right? Jesus paid a price to redeem us, to buy us back. It was his own blood 
And he says, from now on, when you drink this cup, remember the blood I shed. Remember the promise God made to redeem you and how it was fulfilled in me. So this time at the table is certainly a time of reflection, a time of discernment to think about the body and the blood of Jesus. But he also says in verse 26 that it's a time of proclamation, right? Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what he's saying is we're remembering the gospel message. Later on in this same letter in chapter 15, starting in verse 1, he'll say, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And he goes on to talk about other people that, that saw this. This death, burial, and resurrection is at the core of the gospel message. And when we share in this meal together, it's a time of proclaiming that gospel and having a, a visual reminder a, a, a very tangible experience in that gospel that keeps us ready to proclaim it in our time. We're also told that this time at the table is a time of examination, right? In uh, verses 27 and 28, Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup right he says examine yourself first then take these things and he says you need to do it in a worthy manner now i know that uh, i have encountered some people that have decided that uh, that passage means that if you are an unworthy person you should not partake in this meal but but notice he doesn't say, if you find yourself to be an unworthy person, don't take it. He says, check yourself and make sure the way that you're taking is taking it, eating it, is worthy of the magnitude, of the significance that it embodies, right? It, it, it's talking about the way we approach it. He, he's talking about our attitudes and our actions toward the meal. Because he's been rebuking them about uh, the way that they are divided, the way that they're not waiting on one another, the way that they don't care about the other people in the room. So he's addressing our attitudes when we take it. He's addressing the actions we take because he mentions in there that some people were getting drunk while other people were going hungry. Uh, there was uh, There was disorder and disunity going on around this meal and he said that wasn't appropriate and so he says examine yourself check yourself before you eat this meal but lastly he points out something that's very significant and something that i quite frankly think we miss sometimes when we participate uh, in this meal that it's a time of strength right verse 30 says that 
these people were taking this, eating this meal wrong. And it was why many of them were weak and ill and some had died. Now, I don't know all the significance of that. I don't know all that goes into that. But the weakness came from not being strongly attached to Jesus himself. This communion with Christ should be a time of connection with him, a time of of being present with him that strengthens us. Because Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And Hebrews chapter 13 verse 9 says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have no Uh, have not benefited those devoted to them. When we share in this meal, we are present with Jesus. We need to understand the significance of that. We need to embrace that. We need to participate in it. We need to use it as our way of honoring the empty tomb. I encourage you to reflect on these things, to Embrace them, maybe add to them your own thoughts and and share them with your family as you share this meal together on Easter Sunday. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calerachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thank you for your time. Let your head keep